0: Chapter Nine, Part One, of Paul Clifford by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Relate at large, my godlike guests she said. "The Grecian stratagems, the town betrayed. Dryden, Virgil, Aeneid, Book Two. Descending thence, they escaped. Ibid a great improvement had taken place in the character of augustus tomlinson since paul had last encountered that illustrious man then augustus had affected the man of pleasure the learned lounger about town the all-accomplished pericles of the papers gaily quoting horace gravely flanking a fly from the leader of lord Dunshunner, now a more serious yet not a less supercilious air had settled upon his features the pretence of fashion had given way to the pretence of wisdom and from the man of pleasure augustus tomlinson had grown to the philosopher with this elevation alone too he was not content he united the philosopher with the politician and the ingenious rascal was pleased especially to pique himself upon being a moderate whig paul he was wont to observe believe me moderate whiggism is a most excellent creed it adapts itself to every possible change to every conceivable variety of circumstance it is the only politics for us who are the aristocrats of that free body who rebel against tyrannical laws for hang it i am none of your democrats let there be dungeons and turnkeys for the low rascals who whip clothes from the hedge where they hang to dry or steal down an area in quest of a silver spoon but houses of correction are not made for men who have received an enlightened education who abhor your petty thefts as much as a justice of peace can do who ought never to be termed dishonest in their dealings but if they are found out unlucky in their speculations a pretty thing indeed that there should be distinctions of rank among other members of the community and none among us where's your boasted british constitution i should like to know where are your privileges of aristocracy if i who am a gentleman born no latin and have lived in the best society should be thrust into this abominable place with a dirty fellow who was born in a cellar and could never earn more at a time than would purchase a sausage no no none of your levelling principles for me i am liberal paul and love liberty but thank heaven i despise your democracies thus half in earnest half veiling a natural turn to sarcasm would this moderate whig run on for the hour together during those long nights commencing at half-past four in which he and paul bore each other company one evening when tomlinson was so bitterly disposed to be prolix that paul felt himself somewhat wearied by his eloquence our hero desirous of a change in the conversation reminded augustus of his promise to communicate his history and the philosophical whig nothing loth to speak of himself cleared his throat and began never mind who was my father nor what was my native place my first ancestor was tommy lynn his heir became tom lynn's son you have heard the ballad made in his praise tommy lynn is a scotchman born his head is bald and his beard is shorn he had a cap made of a hare skin. An elder man is Tommy Lin. There was a sort of prophecy respecting my ancestor's descendants darkly insinuated in the concluding stanza of this ballad. Tommy Lin and his wife and his wife's mother, they all fell into the fire together. They that lay under most got a hot skin. We are not enough, said Tommy Lin you see the prophecy it is applicable both to gentlemen rogues and to moderate whigs for both are undermost in the world and both are perpetually bawling out we are not enough i shall begin my own history by saying i went to a north country school where i was noted for my aptness in learning and my skill at prisoners base upon my word i purposed no pun i was intended for the church wishing betimes to instruct myself in its ceremonies i persuaded my schoolmaster's servant to assist me towards promoting a christening my father did not like this premature love for the sacred rites he took me home and wishing to give my clerical ardour a different turn prepared me for writing sermons by reading me a dozen a day i grew tired of this strange as it may seem to you father said i one morning it is no use talking i will not go into the church that's positive give me your blessing and a hundred pounds and i'll go up to london and get a living instead of a curacy my father stormed but i got the better at last i talked of becoming a private tutor swore i had heard nothing was so easy the only things wanted were pupils and the only way to get them was to go to london and let my learning be known my poor father well he's gone and i'm glad of it now the speaker's voice faltered i got the better i say and i came to town where i had a relation a bookseller through his interest i wrote a book of travels in ethiopia for an earl's son who wanted to become a lion and a treatise on the greek particle dedicated to the prime minister for a dean who wanted to become a bishop greek being next to interest the best road to the mitre these two achievements were liberally paid so i took a lodging in a first floor and resolved to make a bold stroke for a wife what do you think i did nay never guess it would be hopeless first i went to the best tailor and had my clothes sewn on my back secondly i got the peerage and its genealogies by heart thirdly i marched one night with the coolest deliberation possible into the house of a duchess who was giving an immense rout the newspapers had inspired me with this idea i had read of the vast crowds which a lady at home sought to win to her house i had read of staircases impassable and ladies carried out in a fit and common sense told me how impossible it was that the fair receiver should be acquainted with the legality of every importation i therefore resolved to try my chance and entered the body of augustus tomlinson as a piece of stolen goods faith the first night i was shy i stuck to the staircase and ogled an old maid of quality whom i had heard announced as lady margaret sinclair doubtless she had never been ogled before and she was evidently enraptured with my glances the next night i read of a ball at the countess of blank, blank blanks my heart beat as if i were going to be whipped but i plucked up courage and repaired to her ladyship's there i again beheld the divine lady margaret and observing that she turned yellow by way of a blush when she saw me i profited by the port i had drunk as an encouragement to my entree and lounging up in the most modish way possible i reminded her ladyship of an introduction with which i said i had once been honoured at the duke of dashwell's and requested her hand for the next cotillion Oh, paul fancy my triumph the old damsel said with a sigh she remembered me very well and i carried her off to the cotillion like another theseus bearing away a second ariadne not to be prolix on this part of my life i went night after night to balls and routs for admission to which half the fine gentlemen in london would have given their ears and i improved my time so well with lady margaret who was her own mistress and had five thousand pounds a devilish bad portion for some but not to be laughed at by me that i began to think when the happy day should be fixed meanwhile as lady margaret introduced me to some of her friends and my lodgings were in a good situation i had been honoured with some real invitations the only two questions i ever was asked were carelessly was i the only son and on my veritable answer yes what this was more warmly put what was my county luckily my county was a wide one yorkshire and any of its inhabitants whom the fair interrogators might have questioned about me could only have answered i was not in their part of it well paul i grew so bold by success that the devil one day put it into my head to go to a great dinner-party at the duke of dashwell's i went dined nothing happened i came away and the next morning i read in the papers mysterious affair person lately going about first houses most fashionable parties nobody knows duke of dashwell's yesterday duke not like to make disturbance as royalty present the journal dropped from my hands at that moment the girl of the house gave me a note from lady margaret alluded to the paragraph wondered who was the stranger Hoped to see me that night at lord a... blank blank blanks to whose party i said i had been asked speak then more fully on those matters i had touched on in short dear paul a tender epistle all great men are fatalists i am one now fate made me a madman in the very face of this ominous paragraph i mustered up courage and went that night to lord a blank blank Blanks. the fact is my affairs were in confusion i was greatly in debt i knew it was necessary to finish my conquest over lady margaret as soon as possible and lord a blank 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 seemed the best place for the purpose nay i thought delay so dangerous after the cursed paragraph that a day might unmask me and it would be better therefore not to lose an hour in finishing the play of the stranger with the farce of the honeymoon behold me then at lord a leading off lady margaret to the dance behold me whispering the sweetest of things in her ear imagine her approving my suit and gently chiding me for talking of gretna green conceive all this my dear fellow and just at the height of my triumph dilate the eyes of your imagination and behold the stately form of lord a blank blank blank, my noble host marching up to me while a voice that though low and quiet as an evening breeze made my heart sink into my shoes said i believe sir you have received no invitation from lady a blank blank blank. not a word could i utter paul not a word had it been the high-road instead of a ballroom i could have talked loudly enough but i was under a spell ahem i faltered at last ahem some mistake i i there i stopped sir said the earl regarding me with a grave sternness you had better withdraw bless me what's all this cried lady margaret dropping my palsied arm and gazing on me as if she expected me to talk like a hero oh said i ahem ahem i will explain to-morrow ahem, ahem i made to the door all the eyes in the room seemed turned into burning glasses and blistered the very skin on my face i heard a gentle shriek as i left the apartment lady margaret fainting i suppose there ended my courtship and my adventures in the best society i felt melancholy at the ill success of my scheme you must allow it was a magnificent project what moral courage i admire myself when i think of it without an introduction without knowing a soul to become all by my own resolution free of the finest houses in london dancing with earl's daughters and all but carrying off an earl's daughter myself as my wife if i had the friends must have done something for me and lady margaret tomlinson might perhaps have introduced the youthful genius of her augustus to parliament or the ministry oh what a fall was there yet faith ha ha ha! i could not help laughing despite of my chagrin when i remembered that for three months i had imposed on these delicate exclusives and had been literally invited by many of them who would not have asked the younger sons of their own cousins merely because i lived in a good street avowed myself an only child and talked of my property in yorkshire ha ha how bitter the mercenary dupes must have felt when the discovery was made what a pill for the good matrons who had coupled my image with that of some filial mary or jane ha 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 the triumph was almost worth the mortification however as i said before i fell melancholy on it especially as my duns became menacing so i went to consult with my cousin the bookseller he recommended me to compose for the journals and obtained me an offer i went to work very patiently for a short time and contracted some agreeable friendships with gentlemen whom i met at an ordinary in st james's still my duns though i paid them by driblets were the plague of my life i confessed as much to one of my new friends come to bath with me quoth he for a week and you shall return as rich as a jew i accepted the offer and went to bath in my friend's chariot he took the name of lord Dunshunner, an irish peer who had never been out of tipperary and was not therefore likely to be known at bath he took also a house for a year filled it with wines books and a sideboard of plate as he talked vaguely of setting up his younger brother to stand for the town at the next parliament he bought these goods of the townspeople in order to encourage their trade i managed secretly to transport them to london and sell them and as we disposed of them fifty per cent under cost price our customers the pawnbrokers were not very inquisitive we lived a jolly life at bath for a couple of months and departed one night leaving our housekeeper to answer all interrogatories we had taken the precaution to wear disguises stuffed ourselves out and changed the hues of our hair my noble friend was an adept in these transformations and though the police did not sleep on the business they never stumbled on us i am especially glad we were not discovered for i liked bath excessively and i intend to return there some of these days and retire from the world on an heiress well paul shortly after this adventure i made your acquaintance i continued ostensibly my literary profession but only as a mask for the labours i did not profess a circumstance obliged me to leave london rather precipitately lord dunshunner joined me in edinburgh darn it instead of doing anything there we were done the veriest urchin that ever crept through the high street is more than a match for the most scientific of englishmen with us it is art with the scotch it is nature they pick your pockets without using their fingers for it and they prevent reprisal by having nothing for you to pick we left edinburgh with very long faces and at carlisle we found it necessary to separate for my part i went as a valet to a nobleman who had just lost his last servant at carlisle by a fever my friend gave me the best of characters my new master was a very clever man he astonished people at dinner by the impromptus he prepared at breakfast in a word he was a wit he soon saw for he was learned himself that i had received a classical education and he employed me in the confidential capacity of finding quotations for him i classed these alphabetically and under three heads parliamentary literary dining-out these were again subdivided into fine learned and jocular so that my master knew at once where to refer for genius wisdom and wit he was delighted with my management of his intellects in compliment to him i paid more attention to politics than i had done before for he was a great whig and uncommonly liberal in everything but money hence Paul, the origin of my political principles and i thank heaven there is not now a rogue in england who is a better that is to say more of a moderate whig than your humble servant i continued with him nearly a year he discharged me for a fault worthy of my genius other servants may lose the watch or the coat of their master i went at nobler game and lost him his private character how do you mean why i was enamoured of a lady who would not have looked at me as mr tomlinson so i took my master's clothes and occasionally his carriage and made love to my nymph as lord her vanity made her indiscreet the tory papers got hold of it and my master in a change of ministers was declared by george the third to be too gay for a chancellor of the exchequer an old gentleman who had had fifteen children by a wife like a gorgon was chosen instead of my master and although the new minister was a fool in his public capacity the moral public were perfectly content with him because of his private virtues my master was furious made the strictest inquiry found me out and turned me out too a whig not in place has an excuse for disliking the constitution my distress almost made me a republican but true to my creed i must confess that i would only have levelled upwards i especially disaffected the inequality of riches i looked moodily on every carriage that passed i even frowned like a second catiline at the steam of a gentleman's kitchen my last situation had not been lucrative i had neglected my perquisites in my ardour for politics my master too refused to give me a character who would take me without one i was asking myself this melancholy question one morning when i suddenly encountered one of the fine friends i had picked up at my old haunt the ordinary in st james's his name was pepper pepper cried paul without heeding the exclamation tomlinson continued we went to a tavern and drank a bottle together wine made me communicative it also opened my comrade's heart he asked me to take a ride with him that night towards hounslow i did so and found a purse how fortunate where in a gentleman's pocket i was so pleased with my luck that i went the same road twice a week in order to see if i could pick up any more purses fate favoured me and i lived for a long time the life of the blessed o oh, paul you know not you know not what a glorious life is that of a highwayman but you shall taste it one of these days you shall on my honour i now lived with a club of honest fellows we called ourselves the exclusives for we were mighty reserved in our associates and only those who did business on a grand scale were admitted into our set for my part with all my love for my profession i liked ingenuity still better than force and preferred what the vulgar call swindling even to the high road on an expedition of this sort i rode once into a country town and saw a crowd assembled in one corner i joined it and my feelings beheld my poor friend by count dunshunner just about to be hanged i rode off as fast as i could i thought i saw jack ketch at my heels my horse threw me at a hedge and i broke my collarbone. in the confinement that ensued gloomy ideas floated before me I did not like to be hanged so i reasoned against my errors and repented i recovered slowly returned to town and repaired to my cousin the bookseller to say truth i had played him a little trick collected some debts of his by a mistake very natural in the confusion incident on my distresses however he was extremely unkind about it and the mistake natural as it was had cost me his acquaintance i went now to him with the penitential aspect of the prodigal son and faith he would have not made a bad representation of the fatted calf about to be killed on my return so corpulent looked he and so dejected graceless reprobate he began your poor father is dead i was exceedingly shocked but never fear paul i am not about to be pathetic my father had divided his fortune among all his children my share was five hundred pounds the possession of this soon made my penitence seem much more sincere in the eyes of my good cousin and after a very pathetic scene he took me once more into favour i now consulted with him as to the best method of laying out my capital and recovering my character we could not devise any scheme at the first conference but the second time i saw him my cousin said with a cheerful countenance cheer up augustus i have got thee a situation mr the banker will take thee as a clerk he is a most worthy man and having a vast deal of learning he will respect thee for thy acquirements the same day i was introduced to mr asgrave who was a little man with a fine bald benevolent head and after a long conversation which he was pleased to hold with me i became one of his quill drivers i don't know how it was but by little and little i rose in my master's good graces i propitiated him i fancy, by disposing of my five hundred pounds according to his advice he laid it out for me on what he said was famous security on a landed estate mr asgrave was of social habits he had a capital house and excellent wines as he was not very particular in his company nor ambitious of visiting the great, he often suffered me to make one of his table and was pleased to hold long arguments with me about the ancients i soon found out that my master was a great moral philosopher and being myself in weak health sated with the ordinary pursuits of the world in which my experience had forestalled my years and naturally of a contemplative temperament i turned my attention to the moral studies which so fascinated my employer i read through nine shelves full of metaphysicians and knew exactly the points in which those illustrious thinkers quarrelled with each other to the great advance of the science my master and i used to hold many a long discussion about the nature of good and evil as by help of his benevolent forehead and a clear dogged voice he always seemed to our audience to be the wiser and better man of the two he was very well pleased with our disputes this gentleman had an only daughter and awful shrew with a face like a hatchet but philosophers overcome personal defects and thinking only of the good her wealth might enable me to do to my fellow-creatures i secretly made love to her you will say that was playing my master but a scurvy trick for his kindness not at all my master himself had convinced me that there was no such virtue as gratitude it was an error of vulgar moralists i yielded to his arguments and at length privately espoused his daughter the day after this took place he summoned me to his study so augustus said he very mindly you have married my daughter nay never look confused i saw a long time ago that you were resolved to do so and i was very glad of it i attempted to falter out something like thanks never interrupt me said he i had two reasons for being glad first because my daughter was the plague of my life and i wanted some one to take her off my hands secondly because i required your assistance on a particular point and i could not venture to ask it of any one but my son-in-law in fine i wish to take you into partnership partnership cried i falling on my knees noble generous man stay a bit continued my father-in-law what funds do you think requisite for carrying on a bank you look puzzled not a shilling you will put in just as much as i do you will put in rather more for you once put in five hundred pounds which has been spent long ago i don't put in a shilling of my own i live on my clients and i very willingly offer you half of them imagine dear paul my astonishment my dismay i saw myself married to a hideous shrew son-in-law to a penniless scoundrel and cheated out of my whole fortune compared this view of the question with that which had blazed on me when i contemplated being son-in-law to the rich mr i stormed at first mr asgrave took up bacon on the advancement of learning and made no reply till i was cooled by explosion you will perceive that when passion subsided i necessarily saw that nothing was left for me but adopting my father-in-law's proposal thus by the fatality which attended me at the very time i meant to reform i was forced into scoundrelism and i was driven into defrauding a vast number of persons by the accident of being son-in-law to a great moralist as mr asgrave was an indolent man who passed his mornings in speculations on virtue i was made the active partner i spent the day at the counting-house and when i came home for recreation my wife scratched my eyes out but were you never recognized as the stranger or the adventurer in your new capacity no for of course i assumed in all my changes both aliases and disguises and to tell you the truth my marriage so altered me that what with a snuff-coloured coat and a brown scratch wig with a pen in my right ear i looked the very picture of staid respectability my face grew an inch longer every day nothing is so respectable as a long face and a subdued expression of countenance is the surest sign of commercial prosperity well we went on splendidly enough for about a year meanwhile i was wonderfully improved in philosophy you have no idea how a scolding wife sublimes and rarefies one's intellect thunder clears the air you know at length unhappily for my fame for i contemplated a magnificent moral history of man which had she lived a year longer i should have completed my wife died in childbed. my father-in-law and i were talking over the event and finding fault with civilization for the enervating habits by which women die of their children instead of bringing them forth without being even conscious of their circumstance when a bit of paper sealed awry was given to my partner he looked over it finished the discussion and then told me our bank had stopped payment now augustus said he lighting his pipe with the bit of paper you see the good of having nothing to lose we did not pay quite sixpence in the pound but my partner was thought so unfortunate that the british public raised a subscription for him and he retired on an annuity greatly respected and very much compassionated as i had not been so well known as a moralist and had not the prepossessing advantage of a bald benevolent head nothing was done for me and i was turned once more on the wide world to moralize on the vicissitudes of fortune my cousin the bookseller was no more and his son cut me i took a garret in warwick court and with a few books my only consolation i endeavored to nerve my mind to the future it was at this time paul that my studies really availed me i meditated much and i became a true philosopher namely a practical one my actions were henceforth regulated by principle and at some time or other i will convince you that the road of true morals never avoids the pockets of your neighbour so soon as my mind had made the grand discovery which mr asgrave had made before me that one should live according to a system for if you do wrong it is then your system that errs not you i took to the road without any of those stings of conscience which had hitherto annoyed me in such adventures i formed one of a capital knot of free agents whom i will introduce to you some day or other and i soon rose to distinction among them but about six weeks ago not less than formerly preferring by-ways to highways i attempted to possess myself of a carriage and sell it at discount i was acquitted on the felony but sent hither by justice burnflat on the misdemeanor thus far my young friend hath as yet proceeded the life of augustus tomlinson the history of this gentleman made a deep impression on paul the impression was strengthened by the conversation subsequently holden with augustus that worthy was a dangerous and subtle persuader he had really read a good deal of history and something of morals and he had an ingenious way of defending his rascally practices by syllogisms from the latter and examples from the former these theories he clenched as it were by a reference to the existing politics of the day cheaters of the public on false pretenses he was pleased to term moderate whigs bullying demanders of your purse were high tories and thieving in gangs was the effect of the spirit of party there was this difference between augustus tomlinson and long ned ned was the acting knave augustus the reasoning one and we may see therefore by a little reflection that tomlinson was a far more perilous companion than pepper for showy theories are always more seductive to the young and clever than suasive examples and the vanity of the youthful makes them better pleased by being convinced of a thing than by being enticed to it chapter nine part one